Russia is doing everything it can to try and hold back Ukraine's counteroffensive, launching even more intense missiles and drone attacks than we have seen in the past month. Winters are over, and while Ukrainians are trying to enjoy a little breath of fresh springtime air while they can, we decided to take a look at what normal life in Ukraine looks like. You're listening to the Solutions from Ukraine podcast, which is brought to you by Rubrika. My name is Vladislav Faraponov. I am the host of this podcast. And before we get started, let me remind you that you can support us at patreon.com slash rubrika. By becoming a member, you can get exclusive access uh, to add your questions for us to address in the podcast and, of course, get some of our exclusive merch uh, to show off your support for solution journalism in Ukraine. Usually at this point I present my co-host Anastasia, but today I'm joined by my colleague Sean Carrier. He is uh, he's one of our editors. Hi Vlad, good to be with you guys. So basically just to start with uh, Sean, uh, we are really experiencing a tough week uh, in uh, Ukraine uh, again uh, with Russian attacks and uh, with uh, really intense uh, nights and days uh, with their uh, missiles and drones. But I guess we are dealing with it. People on the streets are smiling, like uh, like in one of the cafes in Kiev. I heard the discussion about how the uh, intense night uh, actually went on and uh, people were discussing just like, did you wake up or not? And that's it. And, and they... Uh, just a minute after that, uh, like they were discussing their work, business, friends. And also, like, it is important um, to mention that we are making this episode on Vishavanka Day. It's a day to celebrate and wear the most uh, famous uh, traditional clothing that goes back for centuries. And people are smiling on the streets, people are, are wearing Vishavankas and uh, really looks so much proud uh, of themselves and uh, of their enjoyable time, I would say. So uh, today we'll try to cover some observations about life in Ukraine. So we'll talk about people, economy, and how normality uh, looks like in various cities and regions. Uh, Sean, you recently gone on a trip to some parts of Ukraine far outside of Kiev. Uh, uh, tell us uh, basically what did you manage to observe and what thoughts do you have about the country people after this journey? Normal life in Ukraine is uh, different from place to place and from time to time. Um, what's normal now is different from the phase that we lived a few months ago. Um, a few months ago, the problem on everyone's mind was electricity cuts. And before that, it uh, you know, could have been the bombing. And it's everyone's favorite topic to talk about uh, the recent bombings whenever you go into a cafe. It's there for people to talk about how they slept that night, thanks to the uh, wonderful fireworks show that we get, uh, thanks to uh, thanks to our hair defense. Uh, everyone was talking this week about uh, the intense night of uh, bombing that we had, which is I I guess it's the first time we heard it's the first time that uh, Ukraine's air defense managed to shoot down a hypersonic missile. You know, it I think it sounded I think everyone in the whole city felt like it was on their street because it was shot down above the city and so the Absolutely. Yeah. to everyone at the same time. 
And uh, it, I just, I remember looking to my window and I haven't seen fireworks like that from the air ever at any point. I mean, I saw 20 missiles flying back and oh, forth. Oh, wow. It was like Star Wars. Yeah. I couldn't even believe my, I couldn't even, I was thinking, like, should I run to the corridor? But this is just, I kept thinking, what my eyes are seeing. You know, this is like, uh, just as we're talking about it, this is uh, how people deal with it here in Kiev. It's like, people just meet up with each other and say, did you see what happened with that? Or, or uh, what, uh, we have a neighbor's group on Telegram, and everyone in the neighbor's group was just uh, sharing pictures of their cats and dogs and memes, like, as just sort of the uh, group's variety to kind of cope with uh, this kind of intense bombing. Because, you know, we can laugh about it now, but it was really one of the most intense nights of bombing I can remember in months. As much as we kind of feel like we can get used to the regular daily air raids, uh, it all feels very normal until, you know, you get woken up by 4 a.m. by a huge explosion that you think is on your street. Yeah, and uh, I think, like, uh, it's really important to, to understand that, uh, like, we're talking about um, about the end of May in Kiev, which is, like, which is really beautiful, and, and also April was a bit cold, too, and, like, people are... Getting out and uh, just uh, enjoy the opportunity of uh, of being out uh, in a in relatively kind of safer place because uh, um, for the past month, uh, as uh, Sean just mentioned, the work of air defense systems uh, and uh, uh, their numbers, especially, was increased and. Uh, Relatively, we can say that uh, despite the more intense uh, uh, notifications about coming Russian attacks, uh, uh, there are uh, more and more missiles and drones that are shut down uh, thanks to air defense systems. So it, it gives people some hope that uh, they should not be so afraid of, of Russian missiles and drones uh, that uh, you know they can count on air defense systems. I mean, everything seems normal, and the air defense works amazingly. Yeah. Everything seems normal until one day it's not. Until uh, you know, you could, we've all gotten a little bit used to kind of ignoring the air raid sirens and going on with our lives, and it all is very normal until one day a missile falls on the metro station uh, on the metro station that's. Next door. Yeah. I remember a few months ago, just one metro station away from me, I went to uh, the McDonald's there, and the, the coffee kiosk in front of the McDonald's, in front of the metro entrance, was blown to bits. And uh, you can just be going to the metro, and uh, and you know, at any time, and a missile can fall on you. So it's it's uh, it all seems normal until it's not. Well, Ukraine is a big country, and every city is really in a different, uh, different circumstances with regard to the war, and especially at different times. Uh, things in Lviv are far, far different than they are in Kherson. Same as a uh, different situation in Dnipro and Kharkiv, and same, uh, and as well as uh, in different time periods, the way situation is right now is not what it was a few months ago uh you know in winter uh, Kharkiv was a very dire situation and still kind of uh, getting over the effects of being under occupation and now it's doing much better and 
few months ago in Kyiv, electricity cuts were a huge problem with Russia attacking the energy infrastructure, and now we barely have electricity cuts at all. And uh, but uh, but electricity cuts are still a big problem in Odessa, and. Uh, right now, Kiev is uh, facing a little bit more intense attacks as uh, as uh, Russia is sort of feeling desperate and feeling that it has to start uh, bombing people who are just trying to live their lives in the capital. Uh, as the counter effective, as the counter offensive is uh, getting ready to be launched soon, um, every part of Ukraine is really different, and uh, the. The way that frontline towns deal with things is, is far different from the way it is in Kyiv. And this is something that I've observed is that especially uh, people outside Ukraine have ideas about the way that things are here. I think that I was also vulnerable to some of these misconceptions mm -hmm. before I came to Ukraine uh, during war uh, that I kind of felt that uh, one common misconception people have is that thinking that all the men are uh, conscripted and uh -huh. that uh, there's no men around and that there yeah. are women are running entire cities and uh, <laughs> everything in every store and yeah. buses and driving taxis. And that's certainly not the case. And it's yeah. certainly not the case that we're running and hiding from air raids uh, 24 hours a day or just lying in our basements uh, and hiding. No, a, a lot of life in Ukraine appears to be normal and it kind of is because people adapt to the situation in war and it's really about adapting to things which people should not have to adapt to like a read sirens like losing loved ones or chain or being separated from their families whether that's uh, whether that's a family member going off to war whether that's somebody leaving the country whether that's uh, how your work situation has changed, how your friends and social situation has changed, how we, uh, how your work and if you run a business or doing business or having work uh, has changed. And, and it's changed for a lot of people that they've had to re reconfigure their lives to, to a new reality. And that, uh, that takes effect in, in very daily things like having to uh, make sure that your phone is charged and your power bank is yeah. charged and that you have bottles of water filled in case that the water goes out, that uh, you'll be able to take a shower or to flush the toilet or to wash the dishes. There are any number of things that uh, change <laughs> about your daily life and how to structure it because of the war. Yeah, and uh, like uh, this argument, uh, I mean, I've also uh, I've also heard uh, it a lot uh, from some experts, like in the West. Uh, uh, they point out that you know, uh, like like how fast people are adapting, and I've given it some thought actually, and I think. Uh, it's more about, uh, again, people, but it's also about uh, circumstances th that change so fast that you need, uh, you know, to be in time with it and like, you know, the, uh, to, uh, to be ready for tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, you need to make uh, like everything, uh, everything possible today, like uh, basically when you have the opportunity, like when you have the energy, when you have when you have water and uh, and others. So it's again, it's about people. Every person reacts in a different way. Just like uh, 
It's a personal decision whether to stay in Ukraine or to move to Europe to safer ground. I think that that's a, a very personal decision. And it reminds me of a scene that I've seen in the trailer for the new movie Oppenheimer, which is coming out about uh, the scientist who developed the atomic bomb. And there's a scene in the trailer where uh, Killian Murphy is saying to Matt Damon, they're about to uh, test, you know, the world's first atomic bomb, and they've never done this before. And Killian Murphy, you know, Dr. Oppenheimer says, uh, well, you know, there's a small chance when we press that button that we might destroy the world. Mm -hmm. And Damon says, what are the chances? And he says, well, the chances are close to zero. And he says, close to zero? I'd like for them to be zero, please. And uh, this, I just uh, saw this trailer last night, and it made me think of kind of two types of people in Ukraine. If I told you, you know, there's a very, there's a point zero 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 one chance that you might be hit by a car or struck by a meteor or struck by a Russian missile while you're sleeping. Uh, for some people, that would sound like ah, statistically irrelevant or doesn't bother me. And for other people, they would say, I, that drives me crazy. I can't possibly live with that situation. I need it to be zero. So, you know, for some people, that tiny possibility will eat away their brain and not allow them to rest easy and think about things like going to school or going to work and continuing your life and uh, just continuing to live and thrive. And for some people, that is a, you know, a possibility that they can uh, put out of their mind easily and, you know, go on with their life. And in addition to other factors about any number of factors that go into the decision to stay in your hometown and stay in your home country or to leave to go to a safer place. Yeah. And uh, Sean, it, it, it would be really interesting to know, like, what do you think about uh, normal life in uh, places uh, where have you been, especially uh, I'm asking right now about Dnipro and uh, Kramatorsk, like, because uh, those cities are close to the front line enough. Uh, I mean, for example, Dnipro is close to the Zaporizhia region. And, uh, for example, uh, actually, Russians still uh, are occupying the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant uh, and uh, keep also kind of launching missiles at Zaporizhia itself. And, uh, like, uh, in uh, Kramatorsk, we know that it's like a transition point uh, from... Uh, uh, the eastern uh, side of the of the front, uh, and uh, uh, there are like famous pictures of uh, of the train station where uh, the the soldiers are coming, um, like either after the service or before that to say uh, goodbye or hello to their loved ones, and uh, those uh, really touching images are now on the internet. Uh, so basically, tell us about uh, about those cities and uh, and what did you think uh, it's uh, special about them? Yeah, Kramatorsk is a really interesting place that I went to witness and how people have adapted to life there because they're not quite uh, we refer to them as frontline towns or but Kramatorsk is really on something like the second or third line. I would say it's like the third line and. Um, it's a place where a lot of 
humanitarians and NGOs are based, uh, as well as it's a place where uh, soldiers who are stationed, it's sort of close enough that they can get leave from their commanders to spend a little bit of free time uh, with their families who then take the train out uh, from other cities to visit them. So it's uh, very common to see soldiers sort of on a few days leave, um, walking around the city and just going to cafes and spending time going on dates with their wives or loved ones, uh, just, just, you know, to get a short break from the front. And this is a really, I felt a really powerful example of how people have had to change their entire lives and adapt to having loved ones who are on deployment to the front, um, that they can just spend a little bit of time together at this sort of middle point. Um, and when I, you know, just being at the train station and seeing people smiling and just so happy to reunite with their loved ones, it's like, yeah. it's really kind of a beautiful thing, bittersweet to see some people reuniting and some people saying bye. But Kramatorsk is, like I said, a sort of third-line city where... Uh, NGOs are a sort or the support system of the front is based. And it's where you can see newly a lot of the changes that have happened. It's it's a it's a it's a relatively dangerous place for the rest of Ukraine, but it's still a relatively safe zone compared with the front. And because it functions as a sort of support base for different parts of the front. Um, it's an interesting middle point between, you know, the all-out war zone and the relative safety of uh, the rest of Ukraine. Relative safety, safety being a very relative term when compared with... Biden. Yes, yes. And uh, it, it is interesting to know, like, what about business or economic activities uh, in, in, in these two cities? I mean, there's almost no business as usual in Ukraine because the whole, you know, anywhere in every city, the economy has shifted to a wartime economy. So there, there's no business as usual. But even uh, in Kramtors, you can see, uh, you know, there is most of, number one, most of the population has moved out. Anyone who doesn't have to live there, why would they live there unless usually... You don't see any young people. You, you see a lot of elderly people who have just decided that, like, this is where I live and this is where I'm going to die. If they want to come and kill me, let them come and kill me, but I'm going to live out the rest of my days in my home. Yeah, it it, it is really a dangerous narrative that uh, we've seen and heard a lot uh, even last year, uh, in um, especially like in the eastern Ukraine, but also like in the south of Ukraine. And uh, it's more probably applicable to villages, uh, like where people have at least uh, some... Uh, uh some food that uh, you know they have been growing and uh, like it's like it was the point uh, basically why they they decided to stay but uh, in the city uh, you know i mean sometimes uh, i i know that many ukrainians uh, are uh, taking some hard time to understand uh, those decisions and uh, uh, it was it is still uh, really um a heartbreaking feeling when you uh, like see those videos 
for example, like volunteers are coming uh, to take uh, people uh, out of the village of the city and and they refused and uh, yeah, that's what I would call the sort of second line second line behind the front because uh, those are the types of places where humanitarian evacuation crews will go and say, listen, you're on second line, but it's about to become the front line. Yeah. So Tomorrow or in a week. Yeah. If you don't go now, then, you know, it's, it's time to go. And so those are uh, the type of uh, difficult decision, difficult situations that those people are in. But Kramatorsk is like, I would say, the third line where it's relatively safe. You know, there are stores uh, functioning, supermarkets functioning. But when you go to the supermarket, you see it's not like a typical supermarket. There's no vegetables. There's like no fresh food. It's it's mainly serving uh, the clientele of soldiers and uh, and uh, humanitarian organizations. So you you see like the you know the even the products on the shelf are are sort of geared toward the survival mode. It's like a lot of packaged coffee, dry food, um, like ready meals, short to short cooker, easy meals. You don't see, you know, uh, vegetables uh, on the shelf at the supermarket. And uh, there's very few businesses operating. And you see, you know, almost everything, every vehicle that you see driving around the city is a military vehicle, which is, you wouldn't see that in, uh, in, in many other cities. Yeah, uh, Sean, probably one of the last questions for today. Um, like, you've also visited Kharkiv, uh, a, a very important city for Ukraine, but also Ukraine's second largest city, it is important to understand. And it, it was seen in Ukraine, uh, like, as a, as a city of youth, like, because uh, it... Uh, uh, it has like a lot of universities and also uh, the university named after Vasily Korazin, for example, was uh, was one of the first uh, in uh, in Ukraine in, uh, it, in like in the modern meaning of the of the word uh, university. And uh, the city is also is also quite developed and uh, or at least it used to be. But uh, since the first day of the full scale war, uh, it really. It is really under massive attacks of Russian missiles because it is a neighboring region. And I will just remind our listeners that last year, at the end of summer and the beginning of the fall, Ukraine's armed forces managed to liberate around five thousand settlements in the Kharkiv area in the Kharkiv region so uh, like before that it, uh, the situation was uh, difficult and how's the situation uh, right now and uh, um, like if we can talk also about the city of the, about the city of Slavyansk because uh, uh, there are more and more missiles attacks uh, on the city too. Well, Kharkiv is, uh, as you said, I mean, as the second largest city in Ukraine, it uh, certainly doesn't feel like it now because it's been badly, badly battered. Even the downtown, uh, even in central downtown Kharkiv, there are whole buildings that have been destroyed, yes, yes. whole apartment blocks, whole shopping centers, 
the municipal buildings that are really uh, that look like a small town uh, on the front i mean even in the center of the second largest city and having been under occupation it you know just so it means that the city has been really badly battered and there's uh, barely any light uh, at night there's uh, barely any light uh even in even in what was you know kind of bustling downtown center and you know so things have come back to normal in the sense that there isn't active conflict in the middle of the city and there isn't you know so active shelling it's just you know maybe that there's there's an air raid basically every night or once a day or twice every three days and it never stops and you know the air defense shoots down 95 percent of the missiles and one gets through every once in a while but uh so there's not an active conflict it's you know relatively speaking comparatively safe uh compared with what it used to be but it's uh certainly uh not any time close to recovering and getting back to what it used to be so it's difficult to say that it's really back to it's certainly not back to normal it's certainly not back to where it was but uh at least uh the war has you know the fighting has sort of subsided for now for lol he knows and what about slavansk i mean it's uh far different from maybe we got a taste here in kiev uh the other night with this intense bombing of what Slavyansk experiences every night uh, but uh, the bombing at night was uh, you know one shell every 10-15 one loud shell every 10-15 minutes and plenty of happening in the distance but uh, it's in those areas that uh, you never know um, when the shell is going to hit what I think when I was there one uh, one shell fell on a school or I, I could be wrong about that. I think that that was in Kramatorsk, but uh, you never know when it can, uh, because it's only about 10 kilometers from the front and or not very far from the front and you never know when the fighting can reach closer when, for whatever reason, Russia decides to start to sending more uh, aggressive missiles and shells and artillery to you know, hit this town and who knows what they're aiming at and why, but, uh, you know, people just go on, try to go on with their lives and try to get some sleep and uh, hope for the best. Yes, uh, and um, uh, as we see it, uh, like, normality is a, is a solution for Ukraine, it is uh, what we fight for and uh, that is what we donate money for, so, I mean, those like us, like journalists, editors who are not in the army, so that's uh, really all we've got uh, time for today. And uh, thank you for your insights, Sean. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, it, it has been like another episode of the Solutions from Ukraine podcast. I know to all our readers, you can find more episodes of the podcast at rubricut.com or on your favorite podcast provider. Solutions from Ukraine is where we discuss problems and issues from Ukraine and also the people doing something about. Yes, so stay with us and remember to support us at patreon.com slash rubrica. 
Your support helps us produce more independent podcasting and reporting which will result in more help for Ukraine to win this hard but important war.